China concept stocks and the yuan have fallen out of favor with investors. Take, for example, the size of overseas-issued China-Hong Kong mutual funds sold in Taiwan has shrunk from more than 124 billion NT in 2014 to only 66.9 billion NT in November last year. In addition, the size of yuan-denominated funds issued domestically has also been decreasing, falling by 87.5 percent or 38.5 billion NT in the past two years. Meanwhile, in China, authorities have recently announced a series of stimulus measures. But many global investors have already fled the Chinese market. Last month, global funds began to dump Chinese stocks on a large scale amounting to 3.8 billion U.S. dollars. As of December 19th, the Chinese stock and bond markets had lost a combined net outflow of 84.5 billion U.S. dollars. In the final weekend before Taiwan goes to the polls, all three presidential candidates were busy campaigning and stumping for various legislative candidates. The DPP's Lai Qingde went to Miao Li Sunday morning before heading down to Kaohsiung, where KMT's Hou Youyi and TPP's Ke Wenzhou were also campaigning. All three candidates saw large turnouts of supporters as they made their final push before the big day. DPP presidential candidate Lai Qingde on Sunday attended a campaign event at Xishan Shengdi Temple in Miao Li. Lai was joined by independent legislative candidate Zeng Wenxue, whom Lai praised for his participation in the 2014 Sunflower Movement that halted a trade agreement with China. Zeng's efforts have helped Taiwan reduce its dependence on China and go global, Lai said, adding that Zeng was the perfect candidate to represent his native Miao Li in the legislature. Zeng Wenxue is Miao Li's hope for the future. First of all, he is full of ideals and ambitions and has no baggage. He has been working hard for the country and for Miao Li. Secondly, during the five years in which he served as a Miao Li County Councilor, he was an upright and conscientious representative. He performed his duties well and served deeply at the grassroots level. Lai's next stop for the day was Baoming Temple in the county's Junan Township, where he offered prayers and lent his support to the campaign of DPP legislative candidate Kang Shiming. As you can see, Kang Shiming is a well-respected teacher and role model. As the mayor of Junan Township, he has been upright in the performance of his duties and has not engaged in corruption. It seems that the same cannot be said about our election rivals. Meanwhile, in Kaohsiung, Hoyoi met with supporters at the city's popular Shidai Boulevard shopping area before making his way to a campaign event at Reifeng Night Market. Ko Wenzhou was also in the southern port city campaigning and had also attended an event at the night market earlier in the day. Later in the day, Ko's itinerary took him to the city's Gushan district, where he met with supporters and spoke with the media. In Kaohsiung, I can also feel the love of the locals. Kaohsiung is the most important city in the south, so it is to be expected that all the candidates would run into each other here while campaigning. So I think we can just go about business as normal. With less than a week to go before the big day, all three presidential candidates are making their final push to sway voters.
A teacher from Thailand is bringing Thai language and culture into Taiwan's classrooms. Natty Nataya met her husband in South Africa and moved to Taiwan to build a family. When her own son started learning Thai, she got serious about language education. Now a qualified school teacher, she's one of the most passionate intercultural educators. A range of Thai cultural items are lined up. Nearby is a string of Southeast Asian flags that bring color to the classroom. The teacher is Nati Nataya from Thailand. She's been living in Taiwan for more than 20 years and particularly loves promoting Thai culture and teaching the language. Teaching a class like this is a piece of cake for Nataya. She graduated from Thailand's historic Kasetstrat University before going on to further studies in South Africa. That's where she met her husband, who was working in open ocean fishing. She later got into promoting Thai culture so that her children could learn her language. I wanted my own children to start learning Thai, and I thought about it for a while. And then I said to my son, how about mummy be your teacher? She didn't do it by halves, but went on to take official teacher training, qualifying to teach Thai in public schools. She teaches in many elementary schools, writes her own courses, and wants to pique students' interest in Thailand with fun and exciting material. Doing it makes me very happy. I want my students, all my students, to have fun in learning and to discover themselves through it and develop using language skills. The students are working very hard, so of course I have to work very hard too. Nataya grasps every opportunity to raise awareness of her native culture and finds great satisfaction in her work, which is bringing Taiwan and Thailand closer and closer. Well, the mercury dropped again on Sunday with the arrival of a cold air mass. Along with the cold air, pollutants from the mainland were also carried into Taiwan by the northeast monsoon. The outlying counties of Jingmen and Lianjiang got a cold red air quality alert, and the entire western half of Taiwan got a cold orange. For the coming week, another cold air mass is expected to make itself felt on Wednesday with lows of 13 degrees. As for Election Day on Saturday, the weather is looking to be sunny and mild. The sky over Taipei looked smoggy early Sunday morning. Even Taipei 101 was enveloped in a haze. Scooter riders and pedestrians all had their masks on. The poor air quality is the result of air pollution from the Chinese mainland being carried into Taiwan by the northeast monsoon. If you look at this area that I'm pointing at, you can see patches of gray. These are the air pollutants that were brought in by the northeast monsoon. According to the Environment Ministry's air monitoring data, Jinmen and Lianjiang counties got a code red air quality alert on Sunday, meaning residents should avoid outdoor activities. The entire western half of the island also got a code orange. Sensitive groups were advised to pay special attention to the air quality, which is expected to improve starting Monday. Looking ahead, there will be two waves of cold air affecting Taiwan in the coming weeks. 
The real drop in temperature will come on Wednesday when a cold air mass begins to affect Taiwan. We can see that the lowest temperatures will occur in the early morning of Thursday and Friday. In the north and northeast, the temperature will likely be around 12 or 13 degrees. This wave of the northeast monsoon will taper off on Monday, raising the mercury. However, on Tuesday, a cloud system in South China will move eastward, leading to brief periods of rain in the north and in the eastern half of the island, as well as the central mountainous regions. On Wednesday, a cold air mass from the mainland will arrive, with lows dropping down to around 13 degrees. There will be relatively little rainfall and it will remain cold and dry until Friday. On election day, Saturday, the cold air mass will weaken and temperatures will begin to rise. On election day, there will be less moisture with highs reaching 20 to 22 degrees. The Central Weather Administration also published a photo that was taken early Sunday morning on Taiwan's highest peak, Yushan. It shows a spectacular sky with clouds forming in a golden arch. Former head of the CWB, Zheng Mingtian, explained on social media that the formation was the result of alto cumulus clouds coming into contact with airflows moving in a different direction. The sunlight hit at just the right angle, creating the rare natural phenomenon. Taiwan is seeing a demographic shift, with people choosing to have fewer children and more pets. With animal lovers on the rise, there's an increasing demand for pet food transparency and safety. Although pet food is covered under the Animal Protection Act, safety incidents have persisted. Experts are calling for a national certification system for safe pet food practices. Today in our Sunday special report, we take a look at existing laws on pet food and the growing call for stricter regulations. Zhang Tsenghua has four Pomeranians and a Chihuahua. They're her treasured fur babies, and she feeds them three fresh meals a day to ease their skin allergies and joint pain. As far as pet food is concerned, kibble does have all the nutrition a dog needs. But I think that high temperature processing and the conditions of storage can lead to nutrient loss. So I like to prepare fresh food myself, offering something different every day and even adding nutritional supplements. Chang dotes on her dogs as she shares her experiences with unsafe pet food. She becomes visibly upset. I went to a pet hotel once and they had quinoa in their fresh food. Generally speaking, quinoa is in fact good for dogs, but something went wrong during food preparation. This one, Oreo, had an extremely bad reaction after eating it throwing up a puddle of blood. Naturally, the quality of food varies from pet hotel to pet hotel, but even commercial pet snacks can be problematic. One time I saw sesame chewing on a snack for 15 minutes, as if it were chewing gum. 
I found something stuck on the meat, what looked like a large piece of plastic from the wrapper. It must have melted on during packaging. It would have been quite dreadful if sesame had eaten it. Pet food is less regulated than human-grade food. Even pet foods made by global brands have been linked to pet deaths due to improper food storage or toxic contaminants like melamine. In 2015, Taiwan added pet food provisions to its Animal Protection Act, requiring commercial pet food to be clearly labeled with their main ingredients and expiry date. The law also states that pet food products must not be unsafe to consume. Human feelings or attitudes toward pets have changed. Pets are now part of the family. I believe that in the future, as pet owners experience more problems concerning these family members, they will make more and more demands on the government. We're here at a factory that makes non-toxic pet food. The 4,000-square-meter facility just opened in 2022. Before entering, we undergo a series of disinfection procedures. We have higher standards than ordinary pet food factories do. We see pet food not just as pet food, but as baby food. So our rules and regulations are aimed at exceeding expectations. At the first stop of the production line, workers inspect chicken breast piece by piece. The meat will occasionally contain plastic or bits of wood. It's inevitable. We make hundreds of thousands of cans a day. The rate of contamination is 1 in 100,000 or 1 in 200,000. But for the customer who receives that contaminated can, the experience is 100% negative. A rinse underwater doesn't always remove traces of wood, insects or plastic in the meat. That has to be achieved by hand. Once the meat clears manual inspection, it's sent off to the next station, where it's ground up, mashed into puree, and canned. But that's not the last step in the production line. The top of each can is labeled with a manufacturing date and expiration date, as well as this code, 112240, which means that it was made at 11.22 and 40 seconds. If there's a problem with the product, you can pull up the surveillance footage since you know when it was made. Stringent production standards and cold chain regulation ensure a quality product. Each can is also marked with a unique code for traceability. These are just some of the measures in place at Taiwan's newer pet food factories, which aspire to go above and beyond. But as food safety crises evolve, ensuring pet safety remains a challenge. For example, the past few years there have been vitamin D overdose incidents. Too much vitamin D is harmful to dogs and cats, although appropriate amounts are good for bone health. Okay. Currently, there's no law that requires pet food makers to specify the amount of trace nutrients in their products. Of course, for pet food makers, such a labeling requirement would be a massive blow because there are many manufacturers that don't fully know what's in the raw ingredients they use, so it'd be very hard to spell everything out on the label. I think that labels should do more than provide percentages. Ideally, they should identify the grade of food that's used in the product. 
that would give consumers greater freedom of choice. Mandating full disclosure on pet food labels does ensure consumers' right to know exactly what they're buying, but the effect on pet safety would be limited, a pet shop manager says. It won't necessarily Customers may not even look at all the ingredients, so the main advice we give to customers is to at least look at the first four or five ingredients because the first four or five ingredients make up 70% of the product. Over the years, pet store manager Chen Bingjun has seen changes in customer habits. Nowadays, shoppers don't simply compare prices, but also look at nutrition profiles. But even so, very few people read every detail on the labels. Internationally, in the US and EU, there are quite a few organizations. For example, the Association of American Feed Control Officials or the European Food Safety Authority. Those are the organizations that are most likely to be referenced on packaging. In Taiwan, there are no organizations that set pet food standards for local brands, which make up 30% of the market. Taiwanese brands can only send their products to the Swiss quality assurance provider, SGS, for analysis or to other private groups for toxin testing. There are a lot of issues with SNQ testing. For example, manufacturers will state that a certain toxin was not detected, and I'll reject that claim, because what they mean is that the testing instrument used was not capable of detecting the trace quantity. That's why the toxin was not detected. Professor Xie Changqi says there should be a domestic safety certification system for pet food based on guidelines set by experts, academics, and government officials. But for now, such a system is not on the government's agenda. With exports dominating the domestic market, officials say there isn't a pressing need for domestic safety certification. The Agriculture Ministry says that in 2024, its priorities will be to strengthen pet food inspections and to mandate the disclosure of pet food ingredients that can cause allergies or other reactions. And in our latest amendment to the Animal Protection Act, we have a provision that allows future announcements of ingredients that we want to ban in pet food. The official emphasizes that since the Animal Protection Act was passed in 1998, it has been amended 16 times. Its latest revisions crack down on misleading claims on pet food labels. Meanwhile, Taiwan universities are starting to offer training for pet nutritionists who will join veterinarians in safeguarding pet food safety. Pet food regulation isn't as strict as human food regulation, but it's making advances all the time, the official says. I hope the government comes up with a regulatory system. The most important thing is that penalties are spelled out. Our pets are our children. It's extremely saddening and distressing when anything happens to them. In Taiwan, one in every eight people owns a cat or a dog. Many see their pets as family, sparing no effort or expenses on care. They're calling on the government to do more for food safety, to give companion animals the best chance at a long, happy life. And here's an animal that's not a pet. A protected brown hawk owl has made its home in Ilan's Luodong Park. The rare bird has attracted many bird watchers, but being nocturnal, it usually sleeps during the day. 
The Wild Birds Society of Elan has asked the county government to cordon off the area around its nest to protect the bird from human activities. It's also calling on the public to give the animal a wide berth. 之前没有拉封锁线, the area was not roped off in the beginning, so people ran under the tree and got very close to the bird. The owl just kept its eyes open, watching them. It didn't have a chance to rest. The brown hawk owl is nocturnal in its native environment and is active at night when it goes hunting for food. During the day, it rests and recuperates. The bird has a pair of large golden eyes with interlaced white and dark brown vertical spots on its belly, forming a beautiful pattern on its feathers. The brown hawk owl has the status of a second-class protected animal and has attracted many people who came to watch and take pictures of it.